The Demon of a Flower by Clark Ashton Smith. Not as the plants and flowers of earth, growing peacefully beneath a simple sun, word blossoms of, of the plant looper high, coiling and uncoiling double doors, tossing tremendously under vast suns of jade green, a ballast ruby orange, swaying and weltering in rich twilights in Laura curtain nights when they resembled fields of rooted serpents that danced internally to another well music. Many were small and furtive and crept viper-wise on ground. Others were tall pythons rearing superbly in heroic poses to the jeweled lights. Some grew the single or dual stems that burdened forth into hydra beads. And some were frilled and festooned at leaves, with leaves that suggested the wings of flying lizards, pendants of fairy lances, the phalanxes of a strange sarcidosism. Some appeared to bear the scarlet wattles of dragons. Others were tongued as if with black flames, or the coloured vapours that issued in wild, weird witherings from out barbaric censors. Others were still armed with fleshy nets of tendrils, or with huge blossoms that were like dank bucklers perforated in battle. All were equipped with venomous darts and fangs. All were alive, restless, and sentient. They were the laws of Lupari, and all other life existed by their sufferance. And the people of the world had been inf inferiors from unrecorded cycles, and even in the most primitive myths, there was no suggestion that, that any other order of things had ever prevailed. The plants themselves, together with the fauna and mankind of Lupari, gave immoral moral abstinence to the supreme and terrible flower known as the Vulquare, in which a Tutari demon more ancient than twin sons were believed to have made it immortal avatar. A call was served by human priesthood, chosen for mid-royalty and aristocracy, Lupahare, the heart of the city, she city Lucifer, in an agricultural realm. It grown from anchorage on the summit of a high pyramid of stable terraces that loomed over the town like hanging gardens of some greater Babylon, crowded with lesser but deadly thrall thorns. At the centre of the broad apex, Veracool stood alone in the basin, level with the surrounding platform, a black mineral. The basin was filled with compost in which the dust of royal mummies formed an essential ingredient. The demon flower sprung from a bowl so encrusted with the growth of ages that it resembled a stone urn. Above this rose the gnarled stalk had displayed in earlier times the prefiguration of a mandrake, but those halves had grown, grown together to scaly, farrowed fiend, like the tail of the most of some mystic sea dragon. Stalk was variegated with hues of green and bronze, antique copper, with the livid blues and purples of freshly 
corporation. Corruption. Freshly corruption. It ended in a crown of stiff blackish leaves, branded and spotted with poisonous metallic white, and edged with white with sharp serrations of a, of a savage weapons. Below the crown issued a long, sinuous arm, scaled like the main stem, serpentating downward and outward to terminate in a huge upright bowl with bizarre blossoms, as if the arm in sardonic fashion should hold out a hellish beggar's cup. Abhorrent and monstrous was the bowl, which, like leaves, was a religion to renew itself in at intervals of a thousand years. Smoldered with sullen ruby, a base it lightened in ruin to zones, dragged with blood the belts of rose, infernal sunset, and the full swelling sides it flamed at the rim of a hot yellowish, now current red, like the incor of salamanders. But one who dared peep within the cloud was lined with sulphurial violet, blackening. Towards the bottom pit, pitted with married poles and streaked with transparent veins of sulphurous green, swaying in a slow, lethal, hypnotic rhythm, with a deep and solemn simulation, her call dominated the city thus part, and the world of the Pari. Below, on the tiers of the pyramid, the tonged, thonged, with overried plants. Kept time to this rhythm in their tossing and hissing, far below thus far to the poles of the planet, in all its longitudes and living blossoms, forbade the sovereign tempo the call. Boundless was the power exercised by this being of the people who, for want of a better name, I have called the mankind, humankind of the pole, married and frightful were the legends. Had gathered through eight aeroins, better were called, and dire was the sacrifice demanded each year for at the summer solstice by the demons, filling of it perforated, pre offered cup to the lifeblood of a priest or priestess chosen amid the assembled hierophants to pass before the recall till the pious cup. Inverted and empty, descended like a devil's mitre on the head of the one of their number. You throw king of the realms about thus, thus far, and the high priest of Wakul was the last, but not the first of his race to rebel against his single tenantry. It was a dim myth of some premundral ruler who had dared refuse the required sacrifice, people and conquerors been decimated by a mortal war, the serpentine plants which, baying the demon, had rooted themselves everywhere from the soil, marched the city by Pari, slaying or vampirizing all who fell in their way. If I, from childhood, had obeyed implicitly, without question, the will of the floral overlord, had offered the stated worship and formed the necessary rites to behold them, would have been blasphemy. He did not dream of rebellion till, at the time of the annual choosing of the victim, and thirty sons below before the date, his nuptials with Nala, princess of Nagakul. He saw the hesitant, he was saw the hesitant, inverted grail, come down and deftly 
crimson on the fair head of his betrothed. A sorrowful consternation, a dark, sudden display which he sought to smother in his heart, the spirit of Lothari, Nala, dazed and resigned in a mystic inertia of despair. Accepted a doom without question by blasphemous doubt, formed itself surreptitiously in the mind of the king. Trembling with his own impurity, he asked himself if there's not some way in which he could save Nala, could cheat the demon of its ghastly tribute. So to do this and escape with impurity to himself and subjects, he knew it must strike at the very life of the monster, which would bleed to be deathless and invulnerable. It seemed, imper- it seemed imperious even to wonder concerning the truth of this belief, which had long assumed the force of a religious tenet, was held unanimously. Amid such reflections, Lemurfi remembered an old myth about the existence of a neutral, independent being known as Okulich, a demon cavell with a vocal bore, allied neither to man nor the flower creatures. Being was said to dwell beyond the deep desert, Apfall, otherwise unpeopled mountains of white stone, above the habitat of the Ophidian blossoms. Later days, no man has seen Ochelich, for the journey through Apfall was not likely to be undertaken. But this entity was supposed to be immortal and kept apart alone, meditating upon all things about interfering never with their processes. However, it is said it to have given in early times value advice to a certain king who had gone forth from last power to his lair among the white crags, in his grief and desperation of Rhine, resolved to seek the Rothkopf and question it without possibly the slaying, by possibility of slaying the Vapul. If by any mortal means a demon could be destroyed, he would remove from the pie, the long-established tenery, whose shadow fell upon all things from a stable pyramid. It was necessary for him, him to perceive with utmost caution, finding no one, avail his very faults at all times, the occult scrutiny of the Vakul. Interim of five days between the choosing of the victim and the consummation of the sacrifice, sacrifice he must carry out his mad plan. Untended disguise as simple hunger beasts, he left his palace during the short three-hour night of universal slumber, stole forth toward the desert of that pole. At dawn and blasphemous ruby sun, he reached the faithless place, tolling painfully over its knife-sharp ridges, dark stone, like the waves of the mountain ocean, petrified and stormed. Soon the rays of green sun were added to those of the other. At pole became a painted inferno, through which Lagari dragged his way, calling for scrape to grassy, glassy scrape of resting of ours in the coloured shadows. There was no water anywhere, but shift with margins gleamed and faded. The shifting sand appeared to run like reels in the bottom of deep valleys. At setting of the first sun, he came within sight, pound mountains beyond Apple. Towering like clay cliffs of frozen foam over the desert dark sea, with tinge of transient lights of azure, of jade and orange and going of yellow red all, and westward slanting with its bone, 
The lights melted the bell and tourmaline, and the green sun was regent over all until two went down, leaving the toilets whose colours were those of sea water. In the gloom, the fairy reached the floor of the pale crags, and there, as all did, he slept till the second dawn. Rising began his escalade of the white mountains. It was bleak and terrible before him against the hidden sides. Cliffs that were like sheer contrarieties of guards. The kings had preceded him in an ancient myth. He found a precarious way that led upward, and through narrow, broken chasm. That led upwards through narrow, broken chasms. At last, it came to the Vesta Fushu, riveting the heart of white range, which is possible to reach the legendary lair of the Ukrif. The chasms beetling. Walls rose high and high above him, shutting out the sun but creating their whiteness, a wane and deftly glimmer to illuminate his way. Shoes as soon as might had been cloven by his sword of mystic giant, it led downward and steeped in ever like a wound that pierced the heart of a footpathway. Lifrae, like all of his race, was able to exist for long periods without ever nutrients and sunlight and water. He had brought with him metal flasks filled with amorous elements from the party, from which he drank sparingly as he descended the chasm. The white mountains waterless. He feared to touch the pools and streams of the unknown flows upon which he came at intervals in the dusk. As the senequine coloured springs that fumed and bubbled before him, vanished phantomless rifts and brooklets of mercurial green, metal, green, blue, or amber. A wound beside him like lisquets and serpents, and slipped away into dark caverns, arid, 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 vapours rose from the cliffs and the chasm. Ephraim felt himself among strange chemistries of nature, fantastic world of stone, the plants of the Koran, and never evade, could never evade. He seemed to have gone beyond the vocals rim. Diabolic trinity. At last he came to a clear poultry pool, occupying within the entire width of the chasm. Passing it, he was forced to scramble along a narrow, insecure ledge on one side. Fragment of the metal's malleable stone breaking away beneath his footfall dropped into the pool as he gained the opposite edge. As he gained the opposite edge, the hulous liquid formed and hissed like a thousand weepers. Wondering as it to its properties, a fearful of endless hissing, which did not subside for once or some time, Lefray hurried on, came after an interval to the fugitive's end. Here he emerged into the, into the, in the huge crater-like pit that was home of the Elkshulit cliff. Fluted and columned walls went up in stupendous height, all sides of the sun of the orange ruby. Now its zenith was pouring down vertical cataract of gorgeous fires and shadows. A dust against the further wall in the pit, like right posture, he beheld a being known as Occult Griff, which had the likeness of a high crucifiform pillar, a blue mineral, shining his own historic lustre. Very forward he prostrated himself before the pillar. Then, in that sense equivocally or he ventured to ask the desired article. Oracle. 
But while the old fifth maintained its arid, old silence, peering timidly, the king perceived the twin lights as mystic silver brightened and faded with slow rotation. The arms of blue cross. Then from the lifting, shining thing, there issued a voice that was like tinkling of mineral fragments, lightly clashed together, but with some, which somehow shaped itself in articulate words. Is it possible, said the Rokhlevith, to slay the plant known as Rokhul, in which the elder demon has its habitation? Elder flowers obtain mineral age, is not necessarily immortal. For all things have their pro- proper term of existence and decay. Nothing has been created without its corresponding agency of death. Do not advise you to slay the plant. I am fur- furnished you the information which you desire. The imagined chasms, though, you come, you came to seek me. The, there flows a huge spring of mineral poison that lead to all the occupied plant life of this world. Ocliffe went on and told little of the method by which poison should be prepared and was the sort. A chill, toneless, tinkling voice concluded. I've answered your question. If anything more you wish to learn, it would be well to ask me now. Prostrating himself again, Lothray gave thanks to Ulcris, and considering he learned all that was retrograde, he did not avail himself of the opportunity to question further the strange entity of living stone. Ulcris, cryptic and aloof in its termless, impenetrable meditation, apparently saw fit to vouchsafe nothing more except an answer in the, to a direct query. We have held the drawing from the marble walled abyss. Lifray returned in haste along the chasm till, reached the pole which the cliff had spoken. He passed the emptied flask. I fed it with angry, his <laughs> liquid. <coughs> he has consumed his homeward journey. At the end of two days, after incredible fatigueness and torments in a blazing hail of alcohol, reached his power in time of darkness slumber, and when he had departed, since his absence had been announced, it was that he had retired to the underground Abatara, below the pyramid of Akul, purposes of prolonged meditation, as sometimes he's wanton. In alternative hope and preparation, dreading the miscarriage's plan and shrinking still, his arduous imperatory. Lefray awaited a night preceding the double dawn of summer solace. Soltis, when in the secret room of the Black Pyramid, Montress of him made ready. Nala would be slain by Vavla priest princess. Chosen by lot, her blood would drip from its channeled altar in a great cup. A cup would be carried from solemn rites to a cool with its contents poured to evilly succulent bowl. A semi-grated blossom. He saw little Nanja during the interim. She was more withdrawn than ever, seemed to have consecrated herself wholly to the coming doom. To no one, at least of all his beloved, deliver I had dared to hint the possible prevention of the sacrifice. Came and did he with a swift change into twilight. Jewelled hills that turned to darkness, hung with a rural flame. If I stole across the sleeping city, entered the pyramid, with blackness towered massively amid the frail architecture of buildings, and there, little more than canopies and the teases of stone, infinite care and caution, made preparations described by 
Ogolith. The huge sacrifice to cut with black metal, and the room lit with stored sunlight. He emptied the seething sibilant poison. He brought with him the white mountains. Then, opening a laboratory of vein in one of his arms, had a certain amount of his own blood to lethal potion. Potion, above whose foaming crystal floated like a magic oil, without mingling, so that a tire cup to all princes filled with liquid most susceptible to satanic blossom. Bearing his hands in a black brown, Lefray ascended a black hued stairwell bay that would later recall his presence. His heart quelling, his senses swooning chill gulfs of terror, he emerged a lofty summit above this shuddery town. The limits of the gloom against the weird and incessant stream as a light before ran the double dawn. He saw the dreamy swaying of the monstrous combat and heard its sonorant hissing that was answered drowsily by myriad blossoms of tears below. A night oppression, black and tangible, seemed to flow from the pyramid and to lie in stagnant shadow on all lands of the pine. Aghast in his own temerity, and dwelling his own in that his shrouded faults would surely be understood as he drew nearer to the vocal, but he be, would be suspicious of offering a brought before the custom hour. Lefroy made obstinance of his floral subdued Vocal, vocal, no sign it had denied to perceive his presence. A great flower cup. His flaring prisms dulled to garnet and purple. The twilight was held forward as if the redness of see the hideous gift. Breathless and fainting religious fear, the moment of suspense and scented them eternally. It scented eternal. Lefray poured the blood mantle mantle blood poison. Blood mantle poison in the, in the cup. Venom boiled and hissed like a visage broom. Thirsty flower drunken ill up. Lefray saw the scaled arm draw back, tilting his demon growl, quickly as if to rip putrate the doubtful potion. potion. Too late, the poison had been absorbed by Blossom's porous body. The tilting motion changed in midair to agonise withering of the reptilian arm. The cool's huge, stalky, scaly stalk and pointed leaf crown, crown began to toss in deathly dance, waving darkly against the coral curtains of mold. A deep hissing, sharpened to an insportable note, fraught with the pain of dying devil. Looking down from the platform edge on which he crouched, void of swaying growth, every side of plants of plants, terraces were now tossing the mad unison with their master. Like noises in an ill dream, he found the corpses with their tortured celebrations. He dared not look again at the vocal, till he came away of a strange silence. I saw that the blossom below would cease to wither, were drooping limp, limply on their stems, then the credulous. He saw he knew that the vocal was dead. Turning in triumph, triumph mingled with horror, he held a fresh stalk, a had fallen prone on his bed of a holy compost, saw the sudden withering of the stiff, soiled leaves of a gross and hellish cup. Even the stony bulbs appeared to collapse and crumble before his eyes. But I understand its evil colours faded swiftly, shrank and fell in upon itself with a sere, empty serpent skin. At the same time, in some obscure manner, 
if rhyme still where president brooded above the pyramid even the death of the vocal it seemed to him that he was not alone then as he stood and waited fearing he knew not what he felt the passing of a cold and unseen thing in the gloom a thing that flowed across his body like the thick coils of some enormous python that sound in dark clammy relations a moment more and it was gone different no longer felt the brooding presence he turned to go it seemed that the dying light but it seemed the dying night was full of a conceived terror a gathered before him it went down the long sombre stairs suddenly descended a weird despair was upon him he slain the vocal and seen it wither in death Yet he could not believe the thing he had done. Lifting on the ancient doom was still no more an idle myth. <clears throat> the twilight brighter as he passed through the slumbering city, calling the custom no one be abroad whenever hour a priest of called gather for the annual blood proffering. Midway for the, between the pyramid his own palace, Ephraim was more than startled to meet Maiden Pale and ghostly, she guided by him with a swift and swaggering movement, almost sympathetic, with different, uh, different and oddly, from a habitual laguar. Therefore, he did not accost her when he saw her shut, and heeding eyes like those of somnambulistic. He was awed and troubled, strained ease at the unnatural surety of her motion, which reminded him of something which he feared to remember. Time or more fantastic doubt he followed, treading the exotic maze of the spar. The fleet and sedrous glide of a foaming serpent. Nalia entered the sacred pyramid. Lefrai, less swift than she, had fallen behind. You know not where she had gone in the myriad vaults and chambers, but a dark and fearsome intuition drew his steps without delay to the platform of the summit. You know not what he should find. His heart was drugged in an historic hopelessness. He wear no, no surprise. He came forth in the dawn. Beheld a thing which awaited him, a maiden earlier of what which he knew to be Nalia, standing in the basement, based on the evil compass, above the withered remains of her corn. She had undergone, was still undergoing, monstrous and diabolic mental convulsiveness. The frail, slight body was assumed, a long and dragon-like shape. The tender skin was marked off in separate scales that darkened in motoring. Muttering of baleful hues, head was no longer recognizable as such. Human lineaments were flurrying into weird sudden circle, appointed leaf buds. Her form, lower limbs had become had joined together, had rooted itself in the ground. One of her arms would become pot ripped and embalmed, and others were lengthening into scaly stem, balls of dark red bud with a sinister blossom. More and more monstrous took the seventeen of her cool. Therefore, I crushed by the ancient law, the dark, terrible fate of his ancestors, could no longer any doubt of his true identity. Soon, no trace of Nala, the things before him, which began to sway in sinister path of night rhythm, titled deep and measured simulation, to which the plants and lower trees responded, knew that the would turn to claim sacrifice beside river. Of the city, the power, and the world of power. Reign. 